Sophie. Hi, Sin. Hi, everyone. And welcome to the Snack Covenant, episode 279. And guess what, Sophie? What? This is the first podcast of the year 2022. That is correct. So, Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, everybody. We hope that 2022... <laughs> Neither of us can be fucking bothered pretending that there's a future for any of us. Since this is a new year and mm-hmm. new people may be finding our podcast, I think this is a good time for us to introduce ourselves. All right. So, Sophie, can you please briefly tell us yes. a little bit about yourself? My name is Sophie. I live in Australia. I took over from a guy called Richard after he died. <laughs> and um, but it's all right because he left all of his notes behind and I can follow everything he ever said and thought. But interestingly, if he said something that you don't like, I don't have to take responsibility for that anymore. Excellent. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you. Thank you. Sin, who are you? Hi, my name is Sin. Mm-hmm. And I'm a vampire from the Soviet Union. Oh, that's a little that's a little joke about the uh, tabletop RPG. Yeah, yeah, so this this is the first thing people have found they don't know who we are. You've chosen <laughs> to introduce yourself with an in-joke. That only makes sense if you've listened to us play Vampire the Masquerade, which not even long-term listeners really do. Hi, Sophie here. Sin continues to labour under the misapprehension that people are stumbling upon this podcast and want to know more before they decide to subscribe, a fact that hasn't been true since 2018. I know, I've seen the numbers. Anyway, if you're one of the dozen people who'll be coming on board for 2022, Sin wants me to explain that what you're listening to now is called a note. And they're an ingenious way for Sin to make awkward dead-end parts of the podcasts into edit points by distracting you with a barely connected cutaway Family Guy style. Since most of Sin's tangents are about either Todd Howard brand Fallout or the largely forgotten shonen Kitekyo Hitman Reborn, most of the notes are also about those things. You Have you hit subscribe yet? Because it's not too late to close the, the window. This note's a little different because it's about the tabletop RPG, Vampire the Masquerade, which you can hear us playing in a link below, probably, if she remembers. Anyway, back to the podcast. Today we're going to talk about Aldia. Specifically, the Aldia from Dark Souls 2. What other Aldias? Hey Google! <laughs> God's sake! Who is Aldia? Here's some information about Aldia, Scholar of the First Sin. Yeah, see this one! Aldia, Scholar of the First Sin is an optional boss as well as a character in Dark Souls 2. He is voiced by David Gant, who also voiced Oswald of Karam in Dark Souls. Thank you, Google! Yes, if there's only one Aldia. Wow, Google sure showed me. Google sure showed you that it knew more than you, like it probably did. (laughs) It's it's the whole fucking internet. (laughs) Thank you, Sophie. So today we're going to talk about the weird things, experiments, stuff like that, that Aldia did in the kingdom. Can you give us a general picture of Aldia's profile? On what, on what website? LinkedIn? Facebook? <laughs> Twitter? My boyfriend and I are watching The Prodigal Son, and he's always like, Oh, I'm going to make this profile. So, like, that type of profile. I have no idea what The Prodigal Son is. <laughs> just see that guy making LinkedIn profiles, I guess. <laughs> Very intensely. Can you tell me who Aldia is like as a person, generally speaking? Aldia has an interesting sort of like history within the game because Aldia was a character that was mentioned in the vanilla Dark Souls 2, but he didn't actually appear as a character in game until the Scholar of the First Sin kind of do-over. 
And in what way was he mentioned in the vanilla Dark Souls 2? The way in which he's mentioned hasn't actually changed. So in both cases, he is described as he is King Vendrick's older brother. Dark Souls 2, kind of like the core of that story, is that Vendrick and Aldia, they realized the world was kind of trapped in the stagnant cycle, going around and around between light and dark and light and dark and light and dark, and there was no way out. They were both obsessed with, like, how do we escape from this? The way that it's described in 2 is that they took different paths, and that path actually led to them falling out. So Vendrick went in one direction, Aldia went in the other direction. It actually specifies that Vendrick basically kicked Aldia out. He exiled Aldia to Aldia's mansion. We find like all of the, the sort of stuff he left behind when he was doing his experiments. We don't actually meet Aldia at Aldia's keep. We meet in other places. Right. So. Yeah. And Sophie, mm-hmm. you said that it led to a falling out between them. Is it going to be about fallout? I was going to say, did it lead to a falling out three or a falling out New Vegas? <laughs> I'm glad we introduced ourselves to all the new people. All the new people who are going to tune into this and think, I gotta hear more of this. What? Oh. Um, hello there. Hidetake Miyazaki here, creator of Dark Souls and um, the other ones. And I'm just dragging myself away from the Armored Core game I've wanted to make for the last fucking decade because uh, these assholes went off topic and didn't explain what the first sin is. The answer is that nobody fucking knows because we fired the director. Scholar of the first sin was actually what we used to call Yui during development because he was given this giant steaming pile of mess and told to make sense of it. We were able to do this because Yui, as an orphan owned by the studio, has no right to say no. Anyway, uh, I'm gonna go back to being a robot now, while uh, these two assholes continue to argue about something from eight fucking years ago. So the thing about Aldia in the vanilla game, and they actually kept this, they didn't rewrite the text, which is a little confusing. Aldia in both versions, they are a bit confused about whether Aldia is a person or a place. Often within the same piece of text, they will refer to Aldia as a person, and then they'll also say something was made in Aldia. <laughs> like the weapons and things that developed by Aldia, they described as being made in Aldia. I sort of understand like why it's written. I think it's supposed to be referring to Aldia's keep. But yeah, the way it's described, it's, it's very, very odd. The other thing about Aldia is that in the vanilla game, it was accepted for quite a while by a lot of people that Aldia was the ancient dragon. Aldia has a big thing about dragons. The entryway to Aldia's keep is a gigantic dragon. It takes up pretty much the whole room. Mm-hmm. And it's a dragon skeleton that is like, it's sort of like, it, it looks, it not it's not a dragon that like Aldia has killed or anything. It looks like it's been excavated and sort of like put on display. It's like if you go to a museum and you see like they have like a dinosaur skeleton kind of hanging from the ceiling or something. It looks a lot like that. Like in Jurassic Park? Yes. Cool. Yes. So it's that. And then you also find dragon bones on corpses there. And these are the dragon bone item. It's not literally a dragon bone that you find sticking out of a corpse. It's the item that says, hey, this is a dragon bone. You can upgrade a weapon with it. Mm-hmm. The dragon bones are also dropped very rarely by these these figures you run into there that are just called the dragon acolytes. Okay. It's hard to say what they are. They're like Aldia's sort of cultists. But Aldia has a thing that's very similar to the healing church in Bloodborne where it's like, these people are clearly mad scientists. They are doing scientific experiments. They have these like beakers and things everywhere with this weird bubbling liquid in them. But they are described with the language you would use to describe like a cult or a religious sect or something. So, so this talk of like rituals, cultists and things and acolytes, but they're scientists, even though they dress, they, one of them has a, like a goat skull on their head and everything. <laughs> okay. And they have a chance of dropping these dragon bones as well. Okay. And they are armed with a shield that looks like a dragon skull. 
And if you get that shield off them, it specifies that Aldia has attempted to recreate a dragon. And after he recreated the dragon, he was never heard from again. Oh. Oh, yeah. So you then discover Aldia also has a live dragon. Whoa. And upon defeating that dragon, which is functioning basically as like a watchdog, you get that dragon's soul, which tells you that there's a bunch of dragons actually in this area, and it's not clear why they're there, but it might have something to do with Aldia. Mm-hmm. So then you progress through the next area, which is the dragon shrine, and you meet the ancient dragon. And if you just, like, leave Ancient Dragon as is, you would get the impression that, okay, well, Ancient Dragon is... It's like the stone dragon from Dark Souls 1. It's just a dragon that sits there. Okay. Bunch of weird things about it, though. <laughs> okay. So the first thing is that if you kill it, it gives you a giant soul. Okay. Doesn't drop... Well, I mean, it, it, it drops souls like every other enemy and boss does, but it gives you a giant soul. Which is something that's specifically associated with the giants. It's not associated with with dragons. Like, why is it dropping a giant? You usually only get those from giants. Why does it have one? Right. And if you talk to Shelqua, the cat. You'll find a great creature far to the east. A colossal thing with the strength to match its size. Or something playing the part, at least. Putting all that together, like... Dragon, giant soul. Shalqua says it's not really a dragon. Aldia specifically tries to recreate a dragon. At this point in Dark Souls 2's like history, there was no Aldia because there was no scholar of the first sin. <laughs> so the theory was, okay, that dragon, that probably is Aldia. Right. Aldia like changed himself into a dragon somehow. And maybe the reason all those cultists were dropping the dragon bones is that they're also turning into dragons. Right. It's starting to get like dragon like skull like skeleton stuff in them. Now another thing Scholar of the First Sin did. It changed up some of the enemy placements. <laughs> there is still one of these where I want it to be, but this worked better in the original game. There are these enemies, they are just called Enhanced Undead. Okay. And they look like a hollow that's turning into a dragon. Right. They are like, they're clearly some sort of weird experiment. They're, like, kind of lopsided. Like, they sort of drag themselves around with one giant hand. And they have, like, a human face on them, but it's stretched into this weird sort of reptilian body. Okay. So from them, you get the sense, like, like okay, Aldia, like, he was trying to turn people into dragons, wasn't he? That's what these things are. And Lost Bastille is somewhere, like, it doesn't come out and say it, but... Lost Bastille seems to be like Aldia was there doing stuff. Like, it mentions the undead being shipped off to the Bastille. And Aldia seems to be experimenting on undead, as was Vandrick. But you find stuff from Aldia, like, in the Bastille. And you find stuff from the Bastille in Aldia's keep. So they removed those enemies from the Bastille in Scholar, which is annoying to me. <laughs> but um, there is still one in Aldia's keep. So Aldia's Keep has this really interesting set piece that we'll come back to a bunch where he has a bunch of monsters in cages hanging from the ceiling. And um, there's a switch you can pull that like lowers them all to release them. So it's clear that like Aldia is like, they're like his subjects. He's experimenting on them. He's got them captured. Even though they remove this uh, dragon enemy from Scholar, they do put them back, but you have to be in, in New Game Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, they do, they do like put one in one of those cages where Aldia's sort of like monster menagerie is. Um, interestingly though, what they replace it with is the Flexile Sentry. Hmm. Flexile Sentry is interesting because Flexile Sentry uh, is still a lizard. It looks very reptilian and it looks very artificial. It looks like two things that have been stuck together. It doesn't seem to be a case of like, this is a naturally occurring weird lizard thing. It's like, this actually looks like they got a guy and stuck another guy to the back of them. <laughs> <laughs> so you get this impression that Aldia was trying to make people into dragons. So basically what I'm getting at is like everyone was like, oh, okay, uh, Aldia was trying to make a dragon and then he disappeared and then this dragon showed up. Yeah. So 
is the dragon Aldia? That was the theory. Um, then Scald the First Sin showed up, and Aldia's actually a giant bonfire head. <laughs> Much more logical. It looks like a jack-o'-lantern. So this actually introduced, like, Aldia the character, who we properly got to talk to. <laughs> and um, you could always get a sense from, like, the place the keep was sort of what he was doing. Mm-hmm. But Aldia the character kind of like fills it in a bit more. Okay, so I'll quickly go over like the parts of Aldia's dialogue that relate to the experiments that go on in the manor. Literally the first thing he says to you actually in the whole game is he says like, there are but two paths, inherit the order of the world or destroy it. He is starting on this notion of, like, we are in a binary. So then he says, Peace grants men the illusion of life. Shackled by falsehoods, they yearn for love unaware of its grand illusion until the curse touches their flesh. So what he is getting at there is this idea that, like, what the undead curse is sort of doing is it's fracturing that binary it's fracturing the notion of like being alive or dead or being light or being dark the notion of like an undead thing is that it's not a dead thing it's not a live thing it's undead like that's the whole point of it it's in between two things it shouldn't be because it's in between them and that becomes like a big theme in dark souls too that like you know, you're losing this aspect of yourself through these repeated deaths because you can't you, you never properly end yeah You just sort of go on and on and on and gradually sort of wear down, but you never actually end. That happening to you sort of, like, throws into relief this fact that actually, like, none of this is as binary as you think it is. And Dark Souls also mechanic, like, it's the one. And the others don't do this. It's the one that makes hollowing gradual. Right. Because in Dark Souls 1, right, you're either human or you're hollow. In the same way that in Demon Souls you were alive or you were dead. Dark Souls 2 actually makes it... There's gradations of hollowing. As you hollow, your character actually loses definition on the model. You start off looking like your character, but kind of dead. And the longer that goes on, you will actually start to lose, like, the traits. Like, you'll lose the hair, you'll lose, like, the facial features. You'll just become, like, a corpse model. Three is a little different with, like, that also has gradations of hollowing, kind of. But it's not exactly the same. It doesn't, like, do the thing to hit point bar. You still have embers, things like that. And... This is when he starts talking about the notion of, like, you're shattering the yoke. Like, there's a thing that is that is keeping us together, and you might be able to break that. So this actually brings us back to one of the item descriptions, which weirdly is the malformed claws, which is a very, very, very hard-to-get weapon that has nothing to do with Oldia at all. Like, at all. Um, basically, there are these weird guys with triangle heads that randomly show up in uh, No Man's Wharf and Lost Bastille, and they have a minuscule chance of dropping a giant lobster claw that you can stick on your hand. Um, like, footnote, it is possible they work for Aldia, because Aldia, like, he has his, like, tentacles in the Bastille, so maybe there is agents, I don't know, but you don't run into these guys in, in Aldia's keep. But anyway, they, they sometimes drop a lobster claw. It kind of works thematically because a lot of the oldier weapons are like bones and stuff, like jaw bones and skulls and stuff that have just been stuck to bits of wood. And that says, the peculiar figure known as Lord Aldia attempted to uncover the secrets of life itself and viewed the undead as a key to the mystery. So he is specifically interested like in the way in which like we can get out of the cycle of light and dark is via the notion of like the undead. It's not clear if Aldia himself ever became undead. We don't know what Aldia actually is at this point. He's not human anymore. He's like a weird bonfire face. So, like, Aldia and Vendrick, they're both obsessed with, like, attempting to break what undeath is. We've talked about this a little bit before. We did a video on the transference of souls. But, like, Vendrick removed his soul from his body. Yeah. His body does appear to be, it looks like a hollow, it looks undead, but... He didn't lose his mind. He didn't lose his identity because he actually removed his identity entirely and basically he's basically like stored himself as a backup copy. <laughs> it's kind of like a, a neat concept. They never do this again. But the notion that like Vendrick escaped hollowing by literally just 
instead of his personality gradually disappearing over these repeated deaths and repeated hollowing, he just yanked his personality out and he just lingers on as like an incorporeal spirit while his body just like, it's not actually him anymore. Mm-hmm. Which is also what happens to hollows anyway, but he's like, he's just sort of, he's coming at it from an interesting angle, which is like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep a backup copy of myself. Yeah. He's basically put himself on a flash drive. <laughs> In case the computer crashes is sort of what's happened. That's good. Yeah, so Aldia has done something. It's really not clear, but he's turned himself into like a giant face made of fire and wood. Yeah. And he's tied to the bonfires and he can sort of like pop in and out of the bonfires at will. But the point is, it's not actually clear if Aldia ever became undead. I don't know what happened to Aldia and why he's like this. Maybe that's what he always looked like. Well, all right. Do you want to know, do you want do you want an interesting little little factoid that we might actually have seen Aldia in the game? Yes. It's one of those things that's like I'm not going to say it's entirely in my head because there's at least some circumstantial evidence. You know, Shrine of Winter. It's like a, an octagon shaped room, and the walls have a relief on them. If you examine the relief, it gives you like a little poem. That's it's basically like. The poem's not relevant. It's basically like, you know, if you want to be a king, go through here. But if you actually look at, at the shrine uh, relief on the walls, it's a bunch of people standing on a mountain with a dragon. And we find, like, the ancient dragon, he's in a mountain. Right. That might be, he's the most important dragon in the game, so possibly that dragon. But, like, on that relief, there is a character who I think is supposed to be Vendrick. There's, like, a big tall guy with a beard. Okay. There's two other characters with him that might be Aldia. Okay. But there is another character who's like a, it's like a very small figure who I think is supposed to be the young Emerald Herald. Oh, So okay. it looks, it looks like it's supposed to be like Vendrick, Aldia, some other guy in the Emerald Herald and the ancient dragon kind of working together. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Aldia's whole deal is like, he's trying to, to break down like fate, which he sees as binary. Mm-hmm. So when Dark Souls 2 came out, Mm -hmm. um, it quote-unquote only had one ending. Why quote-unquote? Well, because, (laughs) like, again, it was a little... I think this is partially down to, like, the translation not making it super explicit, um, by which I mean didn't bash over the head with it. But, like, (laughs) basically the end of the game, regardless of what you do, it's you sitting in the throne. But the whole point of that is, like, even before they introduce Aldia and his constant questioning of your motives, Dark Souls 2 is like, all right, what are you going to do now? It doesn't actually provide an answer because it's specifically asking you. It's saying like, if you were king, what would you do? What about, you know, a monarch is important to you? What do you think justifies being a monarch? What is the purpose of a monarch? Why should they have this power? How do they get it? Is it just? Things like that. So the end of the game, It's always the same cinematic, which is you sit on the throne and then you see the doors close. But the whole point is like, what happens next is entirely up to you. That's not you linking the fire. People thought that was you linking the fire, but it's not. Because you'll notice there's no fucking fire in that room, right? (laughs) There's no fire there. You're just sitting on throne. And I think actually just straight up says like, what happens next only you can see. It's not subtle, but at the same time, I think, like, because basically it didn't give you, like, that binary choice you got at the end of one, it led people to think no matter what you do, you link the fire. Okay. Okay. So the Aldia ending that they add in Scholar, it sort of hammers that home. I don't know if it's entirely necessary, because it's basically the same thing. It's that instead of sitting on the throne and saying what happens next, you walk away from the throne and Aldia says what happens next. He really lays it on thick. He's like, what happens next? Light, dark, or something in between? Only you know, the player. <laughs> but like, that's that's sort of that's sort of what the original ending was implying anyway. Again, that's uh, this this notion of like it questioning this like binary existence. Like having two endings would have reinforced that. Mm-hmm. Like if you actually were made to choose between light and dark at the end of it. That would have undone everything else because it would have been okay. Well, it was just a joint binary choice at the end anyway. It's actually saying like, no, you're in the position to make the choice, but like, I'm not going to tell you what the choice is. It's entirely up to you. And then it just ends. That's cool. 
So there's a fairly um, well-regarded game called Planescape Torment that you might have heard of because it's popular with like the people that listen to us. So that does the same thing at the ending because it's constantly asking your character, like, who are you? What do you want? What will you do? And then it always ends with the same scene. You see this sort of battle in the distance and you walk off toward it. Spoilers. But like, <laughs> the whole point is like, well, depending on the kind of character you were, you can put that in any context you want. Okay. Like maybe you were you were walking toward the battle because you wanted to die. Maybe you're walking toward it because you see this like war going on. You want to help people. Maybe you're going there because you just want to kill people. Like it's it's up to like the person you played up until that point. Okay. This discussion of like Aldia sort of wanting to break down these like this binary between light and dark that he sees as the problem. We have to start looking at like life as not a binary thing. With that in mind, all the weird shit in Aldia's keep actually starts to make sense. It doesn't seem like a random collection of monsters anymore. So the first thing that you're greeted by as you go into Aldia's keep, before you're actually inside the physical building, is that there's those little kobold things. Right. And these ones, like, you see them at the start of the game. They're the first enemy you encounter. They actually don't fight you. They just run away. And they are from Things Betwixt. So Things Betwixt is interesting because, like, it is an area that is explicitly described as being limbo. They call it a limbo that connects a Drang Lake to the outside world. It makes no physical sense. A lot of Dark Souls 2's map doesn't actually line up, but this is, like, a whole other level of that. Like, because if you assume, like, this is a real physical place, then, like, Directly off to the side of the like melancholic seaside village of Medulla, there's just like a giant underground lake full of like stone trees that's like glowing with this weird light from the sky. Tell you it's a dream. Dreams also make it very easy to reuse assets. Why is the Grand Cathedral in this game three times? It's a dream. Why is there a village at the top of this clock tower? It's a dream. Why did you rip Potiyanim out of the ground, put it in the sky, and then fill the hole by stealing a level from Dark Souls 3? Tell Yui it's a fucking dream! Like, you're right, it's a dream. I'm not gonna say it's literally a dream, but it's like somewhere that doesn't quite make physical sense. And basically what happens is you're in this weird dark space full of trees and like there's like this sort of crack in the sky that the light's coming out of, depending on how literally you take that opening. Whether you actually jumped into like a whirlpool or that's a metaphor, like it's not clear. But it actually doesn't really matter either way because neither way makes perfect sense. It's like, I think it's pretty clear that like what's going on there is like you're just in this weird place and then you walk out of a cave and you're in Drang like. I don't think it's literally meant to be this place is actually physically stuck to Drang Lake. It's just a weird, weird spatial anomaly or something. Well, you know, in Dark Souls 3, in the Ringed City, everything sort of moves around. No, well, no, what's actually like in Dark Souls 3 is when you hop out the, like, you're in um, Osiris's room. Mm-hmm. And then you jump out the back and you're in Lothric, but it's like a different universe. Like the untended graves, like you're yes. you're a normal Lothric, you jump out the back suddenly, like just by going through a door, everything is now dark. Everything is laid out slightly differently. The castle appears to have like partially disappeared, and there's like they're talking about like the fire's gone out and all this other stuff, and like it's like that, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm getting at is like these kobold things, they're indigenous to this place that is like it's not real, it's not unreal, but it's just sort of there's like a they they call it a limbo. Yeah. The other thing that the kobolds and all these keep do is that they petrify you, which the old ones don't. And the thing about like petrification then becomes this big deal throughout the keep. You have the basilisks that can petrify you. Dragon bones, specifically, they're described as petrified. And the dragons themselves, what made them immortal is that they were made of stone. And like this is something that came up in a very old episode we did with Loki. People might might have forgotten because it was a long time ago. You were gone. <laughs> yes, my I, my cat was doing shit on the table, so I picked him up to like remove him, and he scratched my eye. 
Oh, what? You're not bleeding, are you? Yes. <laughs> oh no, sin. Yeah, I'm just happy he didn't get like my literal eye, but he uh, scratched me pretty bad. There's some skin hanging. Ah. Uh. <laughs> like a little bit. So I was, I don't know, like I cleaned it and uh, uh, I think I may have to go to the hospital. The idea behind like the flame and the dragons and stuff is that like the dragons were, were eternal because they were made of stone. They weren't alive, they weren't dead, they were just like there because it was this like endless limbo again of like fog and just everything is grey and unformed. And then suddenly the first flame erupts and the first flame, it has this effect that is like, it's like putting, literally putting something in a kiln. Again, like Dark Souls uses the kiln as a, a literal word in it. But like, you know, if you get something, if you get clay and you put it in a kiln and you fire it, it's changed. You can't unfire the clay once it's been baked. And that's kind of what happens to the worlds, what happens to the dragons. Like the dragons are changed by this thing. Like this, the whole nature of the world has changed as a result of this flame coming. But at the same time, like the, the secret of what made these dragons immortal, what made them like sort of untethered from, you know, reality from the, the rules of the world that we have now is that they were made of stone. So you've got like people turning to stone you have dragons that are stone you also interestingly you have a gargoyle mm -hmm. and what a gargoyle is it's it's like that's a stone thing that's got a soul this ties back into we, we did a whole video on this we won't go over it again but like central to dark souls 2 is something that is like it is really important and they almost never talk about it but when they do it's significant is the golems like vendrick Presumably with Aldi, I think Aldi was probably involved in this, although they don't say it, figured out how to bring something that had no soul to life with a soul. They're weirdly not in Aldi's keep, but they're all over Drang Lake Castle. The golems, they are just statues, and they have a hole inside of them. And souls go into that hole, and they spring to life. Yeah. So, like, they have actually created life, and they've done it out of stone. So... All of these like basilisks and like petrification and the stone and everything and the gargoyles, it all seems to be connected to this notion of like life that is not that is not a binary flesh thing, life that is like tied to this older way before before fire happened. Mm -hmm. In the age of ancients, the world was unformed, shrouded by fog. A land of grey crags, arch trees, and everlasting dragons. But then there was fire. And with fire came disparity. Heat and cold. Life and death. And of course, light and dark. Because so the whole idea is like that old world, it's gray. Like the color gray, it's not white, it's not black, it's in between. There's fog everywhere. What is fog? Fog is like it's not formed. Like fog is by definition, like it's it's shapeless, it's formless. And there are just these trees, but the trees are made of stone. So do, I mean, do they even like grow? It's not clear. Everything is static, and it's like they are looking into, is this the way out? That seems to be what he reached, this notion of, like, we go out, we break the cycle. This is a way of breaking the cycle by studying just, like, the way things were before. Mm -hmm. So throughout the keep, there's also all these instances of, like, things that are not one thing or the other. It's like one of the big set pieces in the keep is there's people who are stuck inside mirrors. There's like these corpses that are half fused into the mirror. And some of those mirrors, instead of the corpse being half fused, it's actually all the way in there and it will punch out of the mirror and start fighting you. <laughs> so there's like, there's life there, but it is life that is somehow trapped inside of a mirror. Like it's, it's no longer corporeal, but it's on one side of a mirror. <laughs> there's petrified things again, all over the place. There's petrified. I think they just refer, they're, they're called undead travelers. They're just like random hollows. So like 
this is one of the situations where, like, how deliberate, I don't exactly know, because every petrified corpse in the game is the same guy. Okay. But they are just random hollows, as far as, like, the model is concerned. So you get this impression, like, Aldia is, like, petrifying hollows. Like, he's obsessed with this notion of, like, what happens if we turn something to stone? Like, what happens to it? Is it still alive? And you have, like, the fragrant branch of yore, which brings you back. There's also, interestingly, a petrified ogre. Mm-hmm. One of those big, like, hippo things that's been petrified. They also have quite a lot of mimics. And a mimic is, again, like, I know there's a whole Dark Souls backstory about the mimics being that they were, like, a clan of avaricious people who took the form of treasure chests or something. But, like, again, a mimic is interesting because a mimic is a treasure chest that's also alive. Mm-hmm. You think you'd, like, want to study that? Like, what the hell is this? Is, this, is it alive? Is it, is it a treasure chest? Is it a person? I don't know. In the same way, like, well, a gargoyle is a gargoyle a statue or is it alive? It's kind of both. There's also a pit in it, and the pit is just full of stuff that melts you. So again, like, I'm sure this is, like, it's, it looks like it's supposed to be giant's blood. But again, it's getting at the idea of, like, well, there's, a, there's this stuff here. And what it does is it actually just, like, it reduces you to, like, a liquid state. Like, it, it melts things down. So there's this whole recurring thing there in the keep of, like, the solidity of things. Things can be rock, but they can also be melted down. They can be an inanimate object. They can be an animate object. All these things like actually really nicely cohere together into, into a specific set of like concerns. And then there's the forlorn. So the forlorn is something again, that's called the first and introduces. They're a recurring invader. They're an NPC invader. They show up. It's actually kind of random. There are certain places they will spawn, but they don't always spawn there. And there's two of them. One has a scythe, one has a broadsword. It's implied that there's like a bunch of them, but functionally it's just like the same two over and over again. The different weapons are just meant to imply that like there's different versions of them. Anyway. Okay. So the forlorn, um, do you know how many forlorn there are in Aldia's Keep? Twelve. There's four. But like that's pretty significant that you're invaded by the same thing four times in a very small space. So they're like Braider. They're a little bit like Bradle, yeah. And yet, if you look at the Forlorn stuff, um, it straight up tells you that, like, the Forlorn was something that Aldia created. They were created because he was obsessed with what he's calling the First Sin, and it says that, like, specifically, they lost their corporeal form and a world to call their own, and now they drift. So, again, going back to this notion of, like, what Aldia is interested in is, like, getting out of this binary state, like, what the fuck is the Forlorn? Because it's not like the Forlorn is is like an NPC who is invading you. Because there's no corporeal Forlorn anywhere. The Forlorn is like a red phantom that can only invade. It has no physical body. That's gone. And yet it lingers on as this invading thing, which is interestingly kind of similar to Vendrick. Because Vendrick, again, Vendrick basically ripped his soul out. He's just a, He's just a soul. He's just an identity without a body. The Forlorn also has no body. Yeah, and you mentioned the Forlorn description. Mm. Born of Aldia's obsession with the first sin, the Forlorn lost both their corporeal form and the world to call their own. Now they drifted to other worlds, ever in search of a home. But without self, one has neither beginning nor end, and so the Forlorn have only to wonder. And that ties really well into everything you're saying. Yeah, they have no beginning and they have no end. That's kind of what happens to the undead. Like, they have no beginning and no end. They just keep going until their sense of self disappears. But the forlorn, like, they're not hollowing. They don't have a physical body anymore. They're just like the red the red spirit that's been removed from them. Yeah, because when yeah. you think of a red invader, I guess, it's an NPC or it's another player. It's, it's somebody who exists somewhere that's somehow invading you in the game. Yeah. But yeah. these guys seem to be literal phantoms. Yeah, they're rootless. They're derasine. Whoa. Whoa. Hi, Sin here. Some of you may be wondering why Sophie brought up From Software 2018 PSVR super hit Derasine while talking about the Forlorn. Well, Derasine is a French word 
and the connection will become self-explanatory once I read its definition. Déraciner, arracher de terre avec ses racines, ou personne ayant quitté son pays, sa région de naissance. I hope that clears things up. Back to the podcast. Also, Renaldius Keep is Navlan. You want to know who Navlan is? Who is Navlan? Navlan is two people. Again. <laughs> there is no, like, one Navlan. Navlan is specifically, he is one person who has another person's, like, personality. He's, like, literally a dual personality thing. Is Navlan the guy that gets mad at you if you're, like, hollow, but he's cool if you're not? Yeah, but no, but the thing is, like, Navlan's not a guy who gets mad if you're hollow. He's a different guy if you're hollow. Like, it's a different person. There's two personalities inside the one body. They're completely separate people. Okay. Yeah. So Navlan's there. And there's a very interesting line on the Aldia, like, cultist description, the, the Dragon Acolyte stuff, that says, like, the, they were all working together in Aldia's keep to, like, uncover this mystery. But they started to realize that, like, the thoughts they were having weren't necessarily theirs. Like, something else was getting into their heads. Oh, wow. And it never specifies again what that was. But again, you're getting at this notion then in Navlan of like, you can have multiple like selves in one body in the same way like with Vendrick, you can have no self in a body. Yeah. But it lays all these things out where it's like, you can have like a body with two souls. You can have a soul that is just a soul. You can have a body that is just a body. You can have a soul that's been put in a different body. You can have like an inanimate body that absorbs souls and comes to life of its own volition, all of these things. This sounds like some sort of a horror game where it takes place in this laboratory where they're doing all these weird experiments, and then the forlorn take over your body if you're not careful. Ooh. Was this something that you played and you're remembering? Or... No, no. It's uh, something I just made up. Okay. Well, remember it. It's, uh, it's another game we're going to work on. Okay. The horror game where your character isn't controlled by you sometimes. That would actually be really weird. That would be really, really weird. You know, you're playing it, and then it's like... Suddenly, it just starts moving by itself and ignoring everything you're telling it to do. <laughs> it's like being Dark Side Phil. <laughs> like, what? I didn't press that. <laughs> I'm pressing forward when he's going backward. What? <laughs> oh my god! So it was never. It was never his fault. It was the Forlorn. That's yes. Dark Side Phil is cursed. <laughs> There's a vengeful spirit that circles Dark Side Phil, and it possesses his controller. <laughs> Thank you, Sophie. Thank you, Sam. I'm so glad. I <laughs> <laughs> feel redeemed. He's actually cursed. <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Abruitith, a great one that answereth when called upon, and I'm frequently called upon by Finn to fill gaps in podcasts and provide edit points. Sophie and Finn were just being a little bit mean to someone when they mentioned cursed content. The truth is, no content is more cursed than their own. If they were here, they would thank each and every one of you for listening to and supporting their cursed content journey for the last four years. But they're not here because they're still discussing the story of Dark Souls 2. It might be eight years old, but it's certainly a tricky one. Back to the podcast. So Sin, have you seen the Aldia Acolyte Mask? Tell me about it. Kind of looks like Mysterio's helmet from Spider-Man. That's amazing. The Amazing Spider-Man? <laughs> it specifies on the description that the purpose of the mask was to it says deflect the ire of the ritual sacrifice yeah so when you go in there you actually see what what is assumed to actually be one of these ritual sacrifices happening what is happening there's an older guy with a, like a meat cleaver and he's hacking up a bunch of giants that's horrible. It is. So you get the impression there's like all these like malevolent sort of like spirits and things in Aldia's keep because of all the horrible shit that's going on there. 
This is um ties into Vendrick again, because the whole deal with Vendrick is that when you start fighting him for the first time, he basically can't die. Like his 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 defenses are so high that you do about one pixel of damage a hit and he can one-shot you. The mechanic of this is as you collect giant souls, every giant soul halves his defense. And that's specifically because it says that like the residual anger of the giants is what's doing that. So Olia seems to have figured out a way to avoid that. Which is if you wear a special hat. <laughs> all of the anger from the people you're cutting up won't hurt you. <laughs> they just I guess they just bounce off the, the weird headpiece. I guess so. So one other thing I wanted to talk about was um the way that like this is a concern of Dark Souls 2 in general, but you also see it with, with Aldia. It's the idea of like beast people, which obviously is a bloodborne thing as well, but within yeah. Dark Souls. Yeah. Um there's these things there that are like very specifically half a human and half something else. So like just prior to Aldia's area, you have to go through shaded woods and um like where Najka is and stuff. And there's all these lion people there. Yeah. And it's also like it's not outright said, but it's sort of implied like that the lion people at some point like might have just been people that were transformed into this like lion state. You also have like in that area you've got Tark. That's right. Tark's whole deal is like, okay, that was Duke Zelda, it wasn't Aldia. Yeah. People compare like Tark and Najka to Quellag, right? For obvious reasons. Yeah. The difference is like Quellag. She isn't, like, a weird half-breed spider mutant. She's basically, like, permanently riding a spider. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll notice, like, when she when she's fighting you, like, the spider and her are different things. Like, if she wants spider to actually, she actually has to, like, signal the spider to do things. Yeah, like, pat it, yeah. Her torso is independently to the spider. And this is something that was, like, it's like a translation thing. Loki talked about this when we had him on to talk about Quellag. Mm-hmm. But, like, he was very specific that, like, Quellag is not, um, everyone was fucking with the Chaos Flame and it went off and she got turned into, like, a half-person, half-spider. It's that she's trying to get, like, more attuned to Chaos, so she willingly fused herself into the spider. Okay. So, again, like, the spider, it's not, Quellag is not half-woman, half-spider. She is a woman who is, like, fused inside of a spider presumably if she wanted to really she could get out of the spider maybe i don't know but she willingly like made herself half spider presumably a sister is the same thing as well nashka and tark they are actually half person half scorpion mm-hmm. like the scorpion part of nashka is not a separate animal like she is actually like she's like a centaur okay also again like it's not oldier but in the same area you've got vengal Ulti actually talks about Vengal. It's like another one of his, like, this person's not quite one thing and not quite the other, which is that, like, Vengal has no head. Yeah. Like, v- Vengal's head is separated from his body. The head is separate and the body is also separate. They're just different people. It's like, which one is Vengal? Yeah. Like, he's sort of both of them. Yeah, and they're quite different because the head is nice and the body's not. Yes, and then if you defeat the body, you can summon the whole Vengal. Mm-hmm. Who is like just a whole thing? Like Vengal's head, I guess, is summonable. But when his head is summoned, it's, <laughs> it says like you summon the head of Vengal, but he brings his body with him. He's like a full person again. <laughs> so there's also you know the elephant people, yeah, the primal knights, and a primal knight, it um has a certain teenage mutant ninja turtles quality to it in that it's basically just like a person with an elephant's head. Okay. <laughs> It look it looks like like an anthro elephant. It's not like it's very different to like the beast people you've seen before, where it's like I can sort of see how like you know a person could sort of like their body could change into this thing. This just straight up looks like it's a man with an elephant head. So these like they are described in the guide. This is not in the game, but it is in the guide. It says that um. They may have once been human, and it says that they were recreated through a forbidden ritual likely rediscovered by Aldia. And they're also, in Drang Lake Castle, they're petrified. 
So we're getting again at like this thing. It's like it's alive, but it's also stone. It's also a person, but it's also an animal. There's this constant blurring of the like the boundaries and the lines between things. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sophie. Yes. Where does Shanalot fit in all of this? Good question. Because Shanalot, her whole point is to try to break the yoke of fate, which is what Aldi is trying to do. Mm-hmm. And she, again, she mentions the dragons. She says she was created by dragons. And there's something draconic about her that, like, lets her exist outside of this, like, cycle of fate. And she's also, she's also seems to be bound to the bonfires in a sense. That's like, she's given you the, the feather, the feather then links you to the bonfires. The problem is, like, this is, this is leading into, like, where this all goes. Where? They all fail. No. I know. So, like, Shanalot, when you talk to her, she says, like, I was created by those who sought to cousin fate. Cousin sort of means, like, control. Okay. Those who sought to cousin fate, and they failed. Ventric also failed, like he's like a, a shadow of his former self. He's like this like sort of disembodied spectre that can just like sort of weep over how things used to be. And Aldia also, like, this is what kind of why Aldia is so interesting. He starts off very grand asking all these questions about what it means to be a king. Yeah. And then after a while, like when you sort of like he starts to recognize you, he just says, like, I failed at this. Yeah. Because I was like, I tried to break the yoke, I tried to break the cycle, and I failed. When I'm asking now, it's not rhetorical anymore. All that prior stuff about like what makes a king and everything, it feels like it's rhetorical. Yeah. It reaches a point where it's like, I actually saying, no, no, I actually want to know. Because I tried everything and nothing worked. But Sophie. Yes, Sin. Has he tried GlowConspiromancyAcademy.com? Oh, for fuck. Sophie, do the outro. That was the Snack Coven in episode 279. They said it wouldn't last. <laughs> All these experiments, Elden Ring is coming out in about five weeks. We'll make it, I promise. <laughs> well, thank you, Sophie. Thank you, Sin. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And see y'all next time. Bye. And Happy New Year!